morning, everyone. Praise be to Jesus, and thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I want to thank the Lord for putting it on my heart to read his word today. And uh, I also want to thank him for putting it on my son's heart to read with me. When he heard that I was going to read, he wanted to read with me. He said, Dad, I want to read with you. So he's going to read half. So he's going to rest in the Lord. I think he'll come back in time. <laughs> That, that brings to mind that uh, he's my youngest. He's 19 years old, and I, I've, I've said this on the live stream before, that it's so important that we teach our young children what Jesus Christ did for us and what God has done for us, and it's very important. That, and, and it's just so touching for me that he wanted to do that with me, so I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I'm reading Chapter 14 from the Book of Revelation. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are those, I'm sorry, right, blessed are dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the saint, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them.
looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and who cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vines for the earth. He threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Father, thank you, God. I just want to just give you praise and thanks um, just for gathering us all uh, here today in your house, uh, your people, uh, Lord, and um, and as we've been worshiping and as we've read your scripture, Lord, we just ask for clear teaching tonight, Lord, just let your name be honored and praised through this scripture, Lord, and um, I just ask that you just guide that you want us uh, to know, whatever you want us to, whatever you want to tell us, just let it resonate with our hearts, Lord, with every single person here under this roof, and um, so I just ask you to be here, Lord, and I thank you for all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys, for reading. Thanks, Eric, for the prayer. Um, how are we? Good, good. After reading that passage, how are we? <laughs> right? Um, <coughs> I always get a head start, or I feel like I get a head start on some of these passages and have to wade through it. And I was telling uh, JT, he walked in, he's like, how's it going? He's like, man, it's just heavy. Like, just heavy. Um, but also, there's always an amazing encouragement that comes in the spirit even as we consider um, the heaviness of what this passage is actually portraying to us. And um, just a quick question for you. Have you guys ever done something really hard uh, and you were glad that you did it when it was over, but you did something really hard and what really carried you through it was that somebody promised you it was worth it. <laughs> somebody promised you that there was going to be something at the end of that hard thing that you would be glad you push through. You ever done that? I'm assuming you have, right? I'm assuming you have. 
And uh, some of you guys are well aware, because uh, some of I've talked to you already, uh, we had the opportunity to go on a backpacking trip for three days uh, last week, and it was hard. It was really hard. And uh, for those of you that have ever done anything like that, you understand what I'm talking about. We went 30 miles in three days, and we had about 6,000 feet of elevation, I mean, up and down and all around, and uh, carrying packs that ours were much heavier because we weren't cool like Parker and Tyler with ultralight packs. Um, so we, we weren't as experienced as they were, and, uh, but ours were heavy, and, and we didn't have all the, all the coolest, latest gear. But we, we did it. We did it. And there were some moments where I was like, I'm not sure we're going to do it. <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was just, uh, it was, you know, it was wet. Uh, there's not much oxygen up there, just in case you are wondering. Uh, when you get closer to the sun and you get up high in the elevation, uh, you know, you lose some, some air. And so your whole body feels it. You're burning. Um, you're in pain. And, uh, and yet, you know, the promise was, well, hey, if, if we just keep going, we're going to get to this lake and it's going to be beautiful. Or the second day, if we just keep going, we're going to get to the top of this mountain. The view is going to be incredible. Or if you just keep going, we're going to get back to the car, and we're going to get in it. We're going to get to the hotel, and we're going to eat some good food. And it's going to be awesome, right? So there was all these promises dangling these carrots in front, right, to just push through, to do it, to, 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 to deal with the pain. And that's, that's part of life. I mean, you just go through pain and heartache, and you have to persevere. And what's so important is keeping perspective and, right, and remembering that that temporary pain is not the final word, and it's so personal when we think about our faith because in this life, we are going to have hardship. We're going to experience difficulty. We're going to experience trial, and anyone who tells you that the Christian life is easy is lying to you, right? Or that tells you that just because you follow Jesus means you get a a free pass out of hardship and pain and suffering because we all know people who are suffering right now for the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, Um, Or people who are even wrestling, I mean, again, this is the hot button issue, right? But COVID is is still taking people's lives today. And I know believers and unbelievers who have lost their life during this. One of my good friends uh, from student ministry days, I say good friend, we... We did some ministry stuff together, and I've got, we've got mutual friends, and he, he died this past week uh, of COVID. After speaking to thousands, I said this in the video, if you happened to watch that yesterday, that uh, speaking to 60, over 6,500 teenagers this summer at summer camps, proclaiming Jesus, got COVID, and within two weeks died. I, I don't know how to like, reconcile that in my human brain, right? He's doing what God asked him to do, what, what he felt called to do, and he's no longer with us. And he was in his early 50s, and he's left behind a wife and two daughters. And it's hard, but we know that this temporary pain and hardship that we face here is not the final word on our life, uh, not our eternal life, right? And so there are things that we endure. And in this passage, uh, while there are some hard things here, I want us to see three promises that we have to keep our eyes on because the eternal promises of God are what sustain the people of God in the pain of life. And help us to persevere and to continue to press in despite what is going on. And, and I think Christians should be as, as lucid and as, as eyes wide open to the reality that in this life we're going to need something um, that is supernatural, that is transcendent to work through the problems that, that this life is going to present. And the fact that we live in a fallen world that's broken, it's messed up, and there's a curse, right? That all the way back to the garden. And so things don't always work out. And so we see that in marriage. We see that in parenting. We see that in our jobs. We see that in, in everyday life experiences. And, and obviously Christian or Americans, I mean, we are masterful at trying to mask a lot of that. Uh, we're masterful at like 
putting on a happy face a lot of times, or we're masterful at like keeping superficial answers, and yeah, we're doing good, fine, 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 yeah, everything's fine, fine, you know, and yet we all know it's not. But we don't have to play that game because we know it's not okay, but we don't have to also walk around with our heads down and just looking at the ground saying everything's terrible because we have hope. We have hope. We have joy. We have peace. And in this passage, I'm going to move relatively quickly today, but I want to just draw out three promises that are in this passage that really do help us. It helps them in this passage to endure and helps us to endure whatever hardship, whatever difficulty we may face. So chapters 7 through 13, if you've been reading along with us and working through the book of Revelation, which I hope that you have. I hope you don't only listen to the book of Revelation when we're here on Sunday, okay? We hope you're reading it, wrestling with it, working through in your own personal time with the Lord. But 7 through 13 is the great tribulation. And so every chapter is just like, wow, painful, right? All these things that are going on that are going to happen. These are not possibilities. These are things that are going to happen. um, And this is how it's laid out for us in the scripture. And so that's the context in which we find ourselves. But the first promise that we come to, the promise that I need, and I'm I'm thinking the promise you need, is that we're told in this passage that the people of God will ultimately overcome. The people of God will ultimately overcome. It says it's the 144,000, right? That they will overcome. And we've talked about this before because we know that the scripture says that the, the people of God will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But we know in this passage, he says that that will happen, that there will be an overcoming. And what's interesting um, I don't know if you noticed this. I said this to the group as we were praying before we started today. Um, in the passage, notice that in the middle of all this brutality and all this difficulty, what are the people of God doing? Did you notice? What are they doing? They're praising God. They're singing. They're praising God. How many of you, that's the first thing you do when you go through hardship? I got to put my hand down, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not me. I don't do that. That's not my natural reaction. He says, but the people of God are praising God, and they have this song that only they know. You know why? They don't, they're the only ones experiencing this particular persecution, this tr- particular hardship, and so difficulty. So they have a certain song that is reflective of their just gratitude for God's rescue and his grace in their lives, even in the hard. And they're able to sing. They're able to, to, to celebrate and to praise God. And it's instructive for us. You know, Scripture says that we should rejoice always. Anybody like that verse? Okay, just make sure I'm not the only one. When I hear that verse, I'm like, I don't think I like that verse. But you know what I've learned? By faith, when I do that, God meets me there. And he ministers to my soul because he, br- he raises me up above the chaos of whatever I'm going through and reminds me of the ultimate reality, not that temporary reality, right? And so they're praising God in the middle. And we are, we are reminded that God's people will ultimately overcome And that we want to remind you just, we should be reminded this morning that God's people are those who are under the blood of the lamb, right? That that they are marked with the blood of Jesus. And specifically, that may sound weird if if you're not familiar with the Bible, but what it's saying is those who've actually come and said, Jesus, I am trusting in you for my salvation. I'm putting my hope in you for salvation. And therefore, I am receiving the, the rescue that comes through what you did, Jesus, on the cross. And so they don't have the sign of the beast, but they have the sign of the lamb on their lives. They have the new name. And so they are redeemed, and because they are redeemed, they are praising God even in the middle of that hardship. 
And we need, we need to do the same. It, you know, Scripture, it, it goes on later in this passage to say, in, I think it's verse 14, he, he, um, he says something to the effect of, uh, yes, says the Spirit, let them rest from their labors for their works, follow them, and then he looks, and, and it's verse 13 there. And we're told as believers that there is an ultimate rest coming for us. That there is a rest that is coming for us. Anybody feel really tired? Any really weary people in the room? I think as you're grinding it out, we always talk about that, just, just live in the grind. Uh, the Bible tells us that we have a rest in Christ that is coming. In fact, he says that all who are in Christ will enter that rest. And it's not just, uh, you know, a, a nap. <laughs> it's not just a good vacation, right? It's, it's a soul rest. Because we have a Savior, we have a God who is overall, and we will overcome. Um, we're reminded in the scripture that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Like, I need to be reminded of that. Some, sometimes Christians are just afraid of death as unbelievers are. But in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of death, right? Because to be absent from the body, to, to be dead physically, is to be al fully alive in the presence of God. And so here we are in the midst of a pandemic season, and we've experienced a lot of crazy stuff over there. But you know what? Like my friend Wade, who passed away this week, he is in the presence of God. <laughs> and I've, I've wrestled a little bit this last couple weeks. Like even as I was on the mountain, I was taking some time just to pray along the path between trying to catch my breath and uh, get the blister on my foot, um, deal with that. But I was just talking to the Lord, just, just wrestling with um, Lord, like, you know, I just put too, too much hope in trying to find rest in this life. I just really am, like, even as we were singing earlier about this, this song, uh, you know, this Jehovah Jireh song that he is our provider, and God brought to mind Hebrews 13, 5, that tells us that we should be content um, because he will never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't say be content because I'm going to fill your bank account up with a bunch of money. He says be content because I am enough. And I'm like, Lord, I just confess, I don't always live that way. But we overcome by remembering that what we ultimately need is Christ, and we've been gifted him. We've been gifted his presence. We've been gifted, uh, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. The second promise of this passage is that the eternal gospel will be proclaimed in all the earth. Did you notice that? The eternal I love how he calls it that twice in the passage. It's not just the gospel. He modifies it by saying, I think your, your version, NKGV, seek everlasting, which is like the John 3, 16, right? Everlasting life, eternal life. is The eternal gospel we will be proclaimed to all people all over the globe. That's going to happen. Matthew 24, 14, anybody know what that says? The gospel will be preached in the entire earth, and then the end will come. Every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, we talked about this before, the kingdom of God is going to be a diverse kingdom. So get ready. There's going to be every skin color. There's going to be all languages. It's going to be people from all walks of life, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, because that is not what gets us into the kingdom. It is Jesus, right? But we know the gospel will go out, and it's an eternal gospel. It's not a temporary message. Here's the thing. I think a lot of Christians today believe that the Christian faith is all about good advice on how to have a better life now. But that is not the biblical view of the gospel. The gospel is good news, and it's good news for all time. Good news that says, humanity, we are sinners, and we are broken, 
we were messed up, <laughs> and we need Jesus, and he came. The song, I can't, I'm going to keep quoting songs we've sing, right? He, he would cross the ocean. He didn't just cross the ocean. He came from heaven to earth. He left his throne room to come down here to get us, to rescue us. Like, that's who Jesus is. And so we have this promise of this eternal gospel going out into all the world. That does not mean that everyone is going to receive it. And we see that in the passage, right? And that is one of the saddest things for me as I read the book of Revelation is that the gospel is going out. People are receiving it, but not everyone. And we see that the gospel, it draws people, people together, unifies people together under King Jesus. And it's all for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. Interesting, did you notice that Babylon's in the middle there? Do you guys know what that represents? That is the capital city of the kingdom of human, humanity. Okay, that's all about humanity and all the glory that humanity wants to have apart from God. And he says what? It falls. Because everything, all fame and all fortune and all the great things in this life, they will ultimately fail. But you know what won't fail? God's kingdom. Jesus' kingdom, his rule, his reign. The eternal gospel reminds us Christian faith is not just good advice on how to have a better life, how to have a better marriage, how to be a better parent. It is an announcement that we were dead, but we have been made alive in Christ. You're invited to that. And we need that today. I need that promise. I need to keep my eye on that promise. God, your gospel is what saves people. There is no comfort in this life that can, that can you know, take the place of what Christ has given us. And the third promise, and this is a little bit weird for some of us in this room, I think probably for all of us at some level, is that we have a promise from God that he will judge sinners. He will judge sinners. There are a lot of people who've tried to change this part of the Bible and change this part of the gospel. But the scripture is very plain that God will judge sin, and he will give Jesus that role, that responsibility to come not as a baby this time in a manger to suffer and to serve, but actually to come to rule and to reign and to righteously judge. And it's pretty brutal. If you read the rest of that passage, you understand what he's saying. When that sickle comes, it's coming to, 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 to harvest. You know, the scripture of Jesus says there's the wheat and there's the tares, and it's going to be separated out. He says they're going to separate the sheep and the goats. That when that day comes, and he literally says in there, he said that there will be blood up to the bridles of the horses for 180 miles. It is brutal to think about the judgment of God upon sin. But I think it's very, very important because probably some of you are saying, like, how is this a good thing? And why is this promise helpful? Let me tell you, at a, at a core reality, this is helpful because we need to know that there's a day coming when sin and rebellion and all the consequences will come to an end. And if Jesus doesn't judge sin, it's just going to keep on going. But he is going to bring an end to that. That God will deal with those who rebel against him in a just and righteous way. We don't have to be excited about people being judged to celebrate the promise that he will bring an end to all sin and its consequences, right? It's okay to ache and to hurt and to be sad and weep. We should. In fact, there's a problem in my heart when I'm not weeping over my lost neighbors. There's a problem because that, what's, that tells me is I've forgotten the consequences of sin apart from Jesus is eternal damnation. 
And I, and I, I don't want to live that way. I want to live with an awareness. I want to live with a, literally like Jesus, he looked at a Jerusalem. You remember what this? He looked at Jerusalem, and what did he do? He wept over it. And I think there's, a, there's a, a, a emotion, an emotion that comes in our hearts when we realize the lostness and the brokenness of the world in which we live. But we need to understand that God will judge. And some of us say, well, what about right now? Like, what's going on in the world right now? Like, why does it seem like God is just letting bad stuff happen? What about, you know, children being exploited and women being exploited? And what about injustice all over the world? And sometimes we forget that the scripture does remind us that God is patient, that he is merciful, right? Because he says, I don't want anyone to perish. I want all to have the opportunity to come to eternal life. But here's what I think is very important for me to remember and for you to remember. We should never confuse God's patience with his indifference. We should never think that because God is, in, is being patient that he is indifferent towards sin. He's not. He is absolutely not indifferent towards sins. We can be that way sometimes, but he is never indifferent towards sins because it is an enemy to the relationship that he has called us into, he created us for, right? And so he is vigilant in that, and there will be a day where eventually he does deal with it rightly. God's wrath is real. Sin is real. The consequences are real. We need to teach our children that. We as adults need to believe that because so many times we are afraid of being a, a fire and brimstone kind of people, and so we just avoid altogether that God is wrathful. But that's not a full picture of God. He is, he is angry. He says in the passage, towards sin. And it's a righteous anger towards sin. Have you ever been angry towards sin? I, I'm guessing you have. If you're a parent, you have. <laughs> right? <laughs> if, you, if you're married, you have. If you have a, a workplace you go into, you have. If you watch the news, you have. If you have a social media account, you have. Because you see the brokenness in the world, and it makes you angry. And God is angry towards sin, and his anger is perfectly righteous because he understands the consequences of it. If God never dealt with sin and sinners and judged it rightly, how can we have hope that it will ever come to an end? But he will. And inter interestingly, um, I was just curious, like, what are the most recent statistics? And I just, just to put this out there. Uh, 2017 was like the early, the, the most recent I could find. It said 74% of people in the United States believe that there's heaven. 58% of people believe that there's a hell. And uh, out of the 74% of people who believe there's a heaven, only 5% believe that they will not go to heaven. But interestingly, the consistent theme was that heaven is a place for people who do good things. And... <coughs> I don't know if you know the scripture, but Jesus says there is no one good. There is no one righteous apart from God. And I hope and pray, I hope and pray that all 74% of those people that say they believe in heaven are actually believers in Jesus. I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't think that is the case, sadly, based on what I observe in the culture around us. I hope and pray that, that it is. But I know that this question begs the question. This passage begs the question, how can people survive this judgment that's coming? How can people possibly, you know, 
make it through and survive? And the short answer is only by being under the blood of Jesus. That's the only way, is to be under the blood of Jesus. That we would actually say we cannot save ourselves by good works. We're not, we're not playing this game where it's like, okay, our hopefully our good things outweigh our bad. We're not playing this game of hopefully I read my Bible enough, pray enough, tell enough people about Jesus. No, like it is only through putting our trust and our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the gospel, it's not just about releasing us from addiction. It's not just about helping us not to be bad people or break bad habits or even to not have to deal with the inconvenient circumstances that come in our lives when we commit immorality. That's not what the gospel is for. It, it can do all those things. But you know at the core of the gospel, the gospel is saying we, Jesus is rescuing us from the righteous wrath that's coming, the judgment that's coming upon people. And I sometimes can even lose sight of that. The gospel, the eternal gospel, is telling us that we needed rescued, and Jesus provides that rescue. Some people say, well, you know, how, is that, how does that work? You know, what is that? Just a question. What did Jesus go to the cross for? What, what did he do on the cross? Well, you know, some people say, well, he just was, he was just telling us how much he loved us. He was just telling us how much we mean to him, that we're, we're, we're important to him. He was just, you know, just, just demonstrating that. And that's all true. But you know what Jesus was doing? He was taking our place. He was receiving the wrath of God that should be on us. He was, he was taking, he became a propitiation. That's the big word theologically, right? That he took the anger and the wrath of God towards sin. He took that upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. And I'm prayerful in my own heart. I'm prayerful that I would not forget that, that I would not, <laughs> I would not get to the place where I'm indifferent to that. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Judgment is real. Sin is serious. It is. And sometimes in our desire to comfort people in the modern era or to win them to our faith, we just try to soften all that. But the truth is in the scripture. It's why we need the book of Revelation. And Tim said it earlier when we were praying out loud, like, thank you for this book, God. Thank you for putting it in there because I don't really like it, but I need it. And there is a day coming. You can look around the world sometimes and you can say, Man, it seems like the people who are not believers are having a whole lot of fun. They seem to have pretty good lives. I mean, they have good families. They got good jobs. They're going on good vacations. They're eating really good food. They seem like pretty good. And this reminds us that one day all that stuff won't matter. This reminds us that every person, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And every person will stand before a holy God. And I have people that I know in this city that have basically said, because of that thought, they've abandoned the Christian faith. They said, no, I can't believe in a God like that. And I would just submit to you, like, that is a lie of the enemy. And he wants people to walk away 
based on what doesn't make sense in our minds. But we need to realize that God is sovereign, that he is righteous, he is holy, he's the creator, we're not, and that he can do whatever he wants to do. Thankfully, he sent his only son to make a way for us to be with him forever because he's that loving, he's that merciful, and he's that gracious. And um, I pray that every one of us believe that put our trust in that while we live with an awareness that God is very, very serious about sin. Let me pray for us. Father, um, there's times when I come to passages like this and uh, yeah, in my heart, I just like, Lord, I want to just go back to John 3.16. You love me so much that you gave your life for me. And just leave it there. Um, but the reason you gave your life for us was because we were headed towards an eternal separation from you. Jesus, you talked about hell more than anything. You talked about hell more than, more than heaven. And God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to ignore the fact that you were trying to draw our attention to the, your ultimate righteous judgment that is coming towards sin. And God, I, I just confess that I get sucked into believing that, you know, the goal of this life is just to be comfortable and, and, and to, to enjoy good stuff. And I've, I am guilty as charged, like just losing perspective, losing sight, forgetting that I have neighbors and people that I interact with on a daily basis, just like the lady that served me and my kids at the restaurant um, last week, and, and just, just that, they, that they need Jesus. And that, God, you're calling me just to, to engage them and to love them and not to save them by any means, but to, to show them who you are, to even tell them. Thank you that your gospel will be proclaimed in all the earth. Help us to join in with that work, not to miss it. Help, to not, help us not to be so busy doing our own thing that we, that we miss the opportunities to declare the gospel, this announcement that, Jesus, you've come to make a way for us to be reconciled no longer be objects of wrath, but to be sons and daughters. And I just pray today that even this moment you would stir us with a fresh gratitude of your grace. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you um, just to take a minute during this next song. Um, these guys are going to sing and just, uh, I had this on my, my mind and my heart. Maybe, maybe this is helpful for some of you, but uh, we don't really have an altar here at, at, at Point. This is just some, some concrete up here. But um, I do think that when we recognize the holiness and the righteousness of God, sometimes it, it, re it requires a physical response. It, it, it leads us to a physical response, if that makes sense. And, and I'm not telling you that you have to do this. I'm just inviting you that if you want to come up here and get on your knees or if you want to turn around and face your chair and get on your knees, like, there's a place where we need to get on our knees before King Jesus and just say, Jesus, you're in charge, I'm not. And um, maybe that's appropriate today. Or maybe you just need to stand and sing. I, I don't know. But whatever it is, like, I'm just inviting you to respond to our King and to our righteous judge who also is, by his grace, if you're in Christ, he is our Savior. And um, let's, just, let's just thank him. And then if there's any sin in your life, like, don't forget how serious that sin is. 
how serious and how offensive it is and how you can bring that to Christ and you can say, Jesus, I know this is offensive and I just confess it and give it to you. And he says, I have sacrificed my life so that that could be forgiven. But we need to be serious about dealing with it, too, you know. And so I invite you to do that. And then um, Tim's going to come and lead us in communion here shortly. Um, but but before we move to that, let's let's take some time and reflect on what this passage teaches us and how God wants us to respond to him.